Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour crime show, followed by 30 minutes of sci-fi. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. Orson Welles, speaking from London. The Black Museum, a repository of death. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of homicide, where everyday objects, a crumpled newspaper, a tin can of lighter fluid, a small radio, all are touched by murder. A mandolin string. Familiar object. I'm told, Inspector, that mandolins are mighty popular with young folk these days. Popular? Yes, they are. However, I'm rather happy to say their popularity is confined to music, not to murder. Today, this mandolin string can be found in the Black Museum. From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. In just a moment, you will hear the Black Museum starring Orson Welles. Museum starring Orson Welles. Well, here we are in the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Here lies death, arranged neatly on the shelves and tables open to your view. Now, here's a spoon. It's a simple household spoon. Our murderer was meticulous. With this, he measured out a careful dose of poison. That ore up there on the wall, 
That was used by the stroke of a famous rowing aid at Henley. Later it was used in anger, swung at a man who stood on the edge of a pier, stunning him. The man drowned in the Thames very quickly. Ah, here we are, the mandolin string. Just a coil of rust-spotted wire now. String from a mandolin. A relic of another era. An era of polished carriages, well-groomed horses, simple, sedate living, Edwardian England, and Louise Evans. Louise, my dear. Stuart, darling, I'm playing for you. In more ways than one, she's playing for you, Stuart. Louise, you've got to listen. Go ahead, son. She'll listen. Just say the right words. Louise, I love you. you you're adorable. You're getting closer, Stuart. You're doing better now. Louise, my darling, will you marry me? At last. That's the way, Stuart. You see? I told you she was playing for you. church organ, not Louise's mandolin, played them up the aisle at June. They were quite happy, quite domestic, particularly on the quiet winter evenings. You're looking very well tonight, Louise. Thank you, dear. Anything of interest in the newspaper, Stuart? No. Nothing you'd want to know about. Oh, Stuart, darling, mm -hmm. I wonder if you'd mind... Something you want, sweet? Well... Maisie's gone to her room. I hate to disturb her. Let me get it for you, whatever it is. Oh, thank you, dear. It's just that... Uh, yes? Well, you may think it's a little odd, but... Come well, I, uh, I have this funny little desire for a, a glass of wine. <laughs> Don't apologize, darling. There's nothing wrong in a glass of wine. Is there any in the pantry? Well, no, dear, that's just it. A trip down to the cellar. Not another word. My pleasure is to serve you, my dear. <laughs> The husband gets up. He puts his newspaper aside and leaves the room where his pretty young wife sits by the fireside. Walks down the hallway to the cellar entrance, pausing on the way to pick up a candle from the table by the stairs. Lights the candle, opens the little doorway. The candle flickers, casting a fitful yellow light, darkening the shadows where its beams fail to penetrate. Stuart Mason starts down the stairs. Answer me. Maisie! Maisie, help me! Help! Oh, what is it, madam? What is it? Oh, quickly! Run for Dr. Lipton. Oh. Mr. Mason's fallen down the cellar stairs. He's, he's hurt. I'm afraid. I'm afraid he's badly hurt. Oh, it must be a terrible shock, Mrs. Mason. I know. If you take a sleeping powder. Oh, no, Doctor. Oh, it was my fault. My silly wish for a glass of wine. If I hadn't asked him. Oh, Doctor, the least I can do is to face my grief. That's the least I can do for poor Stuart. If you wish, Mrs. Mason, I understand. <laughs> Death is a terrible thing. When it comes so suddenly to one so young, it's his most terrible of all. Yes, it is terrible. A broken neck falling down the cellar stairs by flickering candlelight on a simple and hardly necessary errand. My dear, as a close friend of both your late husband and yourself, 
I feel justified in asking you to contain your grief. After all, you're young, and if I may say so, pretty. Nelson, you are sweet. I simply do not know how I would have lived through these long, long months without poor dear Stuart's friends, particularly you. This brings me to a point, my dear. I I've meant to discuss it with you. I begin to feel something slightly more than respect for you, Louise. If I may take the liberty... Nelson, watch your words. Look out, Nelson. A pretty blonde widow with wide blue eyes, so delicate and fragile. Watch your step. Oh, my loneliness in this house. At night, the floors creak. They seem to try to speak with me. Maisie does her best, but it's still so... so... well, you know. You're lonely too, aren't you? I must confess, Louise, that I am. Now see here, young lady. We're going to start a new life for you. Oh, Nelson. Uh, some cream for Mrs. Church, Maisie. Yes, madam. Oh, thank you. You know, Louise, this is the nicest idea. Having coffee with our men folk, I mean. I always hated the idea of the ladies withdrawing while the men had their port alone after dinner. Well, I, I can't say I mind when our hostess is as lovely a bride as Louise. Hey, Nelson, do you agree, old man? Of course I agree. After all, I married her. <laughs> How you men do go on. Don't they, Alice? Let them, dear. It's one of their few pleasures. I have another pleasure I want to share with you, Alice. Friend? Yes, Nelson? Louise is absolute talent with the mandolin. Oh, Nelson, please. The mandolin, yes, I seem to remember you played very well, Louise. Oh, do, Louise, please. Well, uh, really, I... Well, my, my talent is so small. Oh. <laughs> oh, we won't take no for an answer, darling. Here it is. Now, what shall your first selection be? <gasps> oh, dear. One of the strings is missing. Oh, missing? Well, uh, I was uh, tuning it yesterday. Oh, one of the strings broke, and I didn't get downtown to buy a new one. Oh, I am sorry. Truly, I am. Uh, perhaps next time you're here. Too bad. Really too bad. We've been so nice. Recently married young lady with a gaily beribboned mandolin in her lap in a lamplit room. It would have been so nice. In fact, as they prepared for sleep... Nelson Carter said just that. Too bad about your mandolin string, dear. It would have been so nice to hear you play tonight. Ooh. What is it, dear? Oh, the sheets are icy. It must be really cold outside. Well, Fred Church said it was. And you are so susceptible to colds. Darling, we've got to have a hot water bottle. Well, ring for Maisie, why don't you? Well, she was exhausted, poor dear. She worked so hard cooking and serving dinner. It seems unfair to disturb her. All right, I'll get it. Do you know where it is? Mm, in the kitchen cabinet, dear. Uh, right in front. All right. I'd better take a candle. Uh, and use the back stairs, darling. It's shorter that way. Once again, a young man lights his way through a dark house toward a steep stairway by the flickering flame of a candle. Once again, a young man makes his way along a carpeted hallway, starts a hurried descent of wooden stairs. <laughs> Nelson! Nelson! What happened? All right, Maisie. Your mistress will rest now. I gave her a sedative. Oh, oh, poor woman. Oh, poor, poor child. Poor. 
This will be the second fortune she inherits. Hardly poor. Two accidents like that. Oh, Doctor, it's like the poor girl was accursed. Aye, it is. Well, things like this happen. As you say, two accidents and so much alike. I shall probably recommend that your mistress builds herself a new house with no cellar and all on one floor. Whatever for, sir? No stairs, my girl. No stairs for anyone to fall down and break his neck. Well, I'm on my way. No visitors allowed. No visitors. And no stairs in a new house. Well, perhaps, certainly for another year at least, the mandolin will be silent. I think that that may be counted upon. That and the widow's weeds and the tearful glances from wide blue eyes. Of course, there was one item that no one counted on. You uh, sent for me, Inspector. I did, Peck. What do you think of this? Uh, hmm. Anonymous, sir. Yes. Read it, will you? Uh, Inspector Higley, don't file this letter in the waste paper basket. Hmm. I am not writing it without due thought and consideration. I cannot let you have my name as yet. But think of this. Two young men of wealth and standing in the community have died via falls downstairs with broken necks as the consequences. Don't you think at least a perfunctory investigation is called for? Don't you think so? And it's signed, An Anxious Friend. Yes. Well, Sergeant? Well, someone with an education wrote it. Someone who hints he or she will come forward if we find anything. I cannot let you have my name yet. Yes, uh, I noticed that, sir. Well, Sergeant, wear your best suit tomorrow. You and I are going calling on a young widow in Oxford Street. I understand she plays the mandolin. Rather well, in fact. Rather well. Yes, she played rather well. And a string of that mandolin on which she played can be seen today in the Black Museum. In just a moment, we will continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Two young men dead with broken necks. Both cases certified. Accidental death. And then an anonymous letter 
Inspector Higley and Sergeant Peck paid their call. In fact, they paid two calls. The first on Dr. Lipton. I'm rather glad you dropped in, Inspector. I know there's been whispering. Two unfortunate accidents like this. It would lead to rumors. Rumors? I see. Such as... Mm, the usual thing that Stuart Evans and Nelson Carter may have been uh, helped to fall down the stairs. You mean pushed? Mm, something of the sort. And your opinion, Doctor? My opinion is certified on the death certificate, sir. Accidental deaths, both of them. I see. Well, thank you, Doctor. I'm glad you're so certain. Yes, the good doctor appears quite certain. Nonetheless, Inspector Higley and Sergeant Peck made their second visit. Oh, I'm so glad you came to see me, Inspector. Thank you. It's not too often that the police are welcome. Oh, I... I suppose not. But... Well, I... I can't help hearing about the things that people are saying... Maisie brings home so many odd tales. I was wondering, Mrs... <gasps> Sergeant, interested in music? Uh, quite a good-looking instrument, ma'am. Hmm. I shall never play it again. Oh? Why not? Both Nelson and Stuart loved the music. I... I cannot get over the fact that I took a mean excuse and refused to play the night that... that Nelson died. Oh? An excuse? Yes. You see... The churches, Alice and Fred, were here. I see. Nelson was pressing me to play. I, I refused. Mm -hmm. I, I used a missing string as an excuse. When I had a stock of strings on hand and could have replaced the missing one, I refused Nelson that last pleasure. Tell me, do you always keep a stock of mandolin strings on hand, ma'am? Yes, in the cold weather I do. I see. When the temperature drops, the strings seem to get... Brittle. Quiet. Uh, they break quite easily. And uh, where do you buy your mandolin strings, Mrs. Carter? At Murchison's music shop on the high street. Oh, Inspector. Yes? Sergeant, I appeal to you as men of the world. Can't you help me scotch these dreadful things that people are saying? Can you? Would you? Please? The inspector and the sergeant said they'd try, and they did. Their business was facts. One fact turned up immediately upon their contact with Mr. Murchison at the music shop on High Street. He showed me the bill of sale, Inspector. Uh-huh. She bought the strings, sent the maid for him with a written order three days after this Carter fellow was buried. Hmm, interesting. Now, why would a woman who says she had a stock of strings on hand the night her husband died and says further that she'll never play again buy mandolin strings shortly after the funeral? An interesting contradiction in dates and actions. A further interesting contradiction came to light some three months later. Another of those anonymous letters, Sergeant. Just, she's playing that mandolin again. I seem to remember, Sergeant, that Mrs. Carter told us she'd never touched the instrument again. Such contradictory behavior seemed to indicate another call. The inspector dropped in on Louise Evans Carter to a mandolin. <laughs> Inspector Higley, how nice. All right, Maisie. Yes, madam. Uh, Inspector, uh, my friend Clifford West. How do you do? Inspector, I'm afraid you've caught me in a fib. Is that very bad? A fib? Well, it couldn't be bad. Not from you, Louise. I don't quite follow, Mrs. Carter. <laughs> I told you some time ago I'd never play my mandolin again. And you've heard me playing. Yes, so you did. And so I have. But there must be a good reason, I assume. Oh, but there is. You tell him, Clifford, dear. As it happens, though, we are both 
very, very happy, and music seemed extremely apropos. You see, sir, Mrs. Carter, Louise, has just done me the honor to consent to be my wife. Number three. The inspector sensed the tension in Midhaven. He waited. All of Midhaven seemed to be waiting with him. The first action came from an unexpected quarter. Inspector Higley, I demand you trace this letter for me at once. May I see your letter, sir? Here. I see. Mr. West, two men have died with broken necks. Are you the third? Are you entering the den of the Tigress? Tracing a letter like this is not the easiest. There was no question in the inspector's mind that the author of Clifford West's letter was the same party who'd written the two notes addressed to the inspector himself. A brief comparison of the handwriting removed what little doubt the inspector had. And Sergeant Peck dropped in on the small Midhaven post office. This your postmark? That's right, sir. Of course it is. Ever see this envelope before? Well, maybe. Maybe not. Seen hundreds like it. You can buy that cheap kind in any stationery shop in Midhaven. Blank, Inspector. Nothing. Uh, expected as much. Do you think that West fellow will be scared off, sir? I doubt it. Sergeant, take this copy over to the Midhaven Gazette, will you? I want it run in every edition for a week. Uh, think you'll get an answer, sir? Well, remember the first letter. I cannot let you have my name as yet. Uh-huh. Uh, perhaps the party concerned will feel now is the time to reveal himself or herself, as the case may be. That promise of absolute privacy may do the trick. <laughs> I saw your advertisement, Inspector. I came. I hope you can protect me if I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I sincerely do hope so. Your confidence will be respected, Mrs. Church. Thank you, sir. I... I trust you don't feel there's any jealousy involved of any kind. My job is facts, ma'am. Do you have any? I don't know. You see, Stuart and Nelson, both were young men of whom my husband and I were very fond. Uh-huh. And I... Well, I remember so distinctly how disturbed Louise seemed when we asked her to play that night. She seemed upset over our discovery of the missing string on that mandolin. I... I guess that's all, Inspector. It's not very much, is it? No. No, it's not. But it seems so peculiar. And the mandolin... Always that mandolin. Inspector, how could a mandolin be used to kill anyone? I don't know yet, even if anyone was killed. However, I'd like to find out. Mrs. Church, have you any idea of Mrs. Carter's social engagements? I mean, when, for instance, is she probably out of her house for a length of time? You can advise us as to any such matter. It seems Mrs. Carter attended the ladies' auxiliary of the local church each Wednesday afternoon, an activity a respectable young widow would be expected to enjoy. And it was Wednesday afternoon when the inspector and the sergeant called... The mistress isn't in, sir. I doubt if she'll be too long. May we wait? If you wish to, sir. The inspector went into the sitting room. Sergeant drifted toward the kitchen. Maisie safely occupied by the good sergeant, Inspector Higley, swiftly found the cellar stairs, carefully moved down, examining each step, each lift and tread, each section of the baseboard. Halfway down. Well, interesting to say the least. Upstairs now to the back stairway. Again, the careful examination. Again, about halfway down. They'll do it every time. Every single time. Then, quietly into the kitchen. 
Sergeant? Uh, yes, sir? I don't think we'll wait any longer. I'm sorry, sir. The mistress went along to the vestry and she ought to be Oh, that's all right. Just tell her we called, will you? Come along, Sergeant. We'll drop back another time. And the two policemen left the house to return to the inspector's office. It's something, Sergeant. Not much, but something. It convinces me, sir. And me. But how about a jury? I don't know, sir. Of course, if we had a bit more, the, the nails themselves, sir. And then, yes. And then there's the business of buying that stock of mandolin string. Sergeant, uh, we'll drop in on Mrs. Carter this evening. Do you by any chance play the mandolin? It was nice of you to come back so soon, Inspector. I I do hope you've been able to help me with all that mean whispering I told you about. I wish we could, ma'am. I wish we could. Did I tell you that Sergeant Peck is interested in the mandolin? Why, no, you didn't. Uh, may I, ma'am? Well, certainly. Yes, lovely tone, ma'am. Yes, it has. Quite a romantic instrument, I believe. It goes back to the troubadours in France centuries ago. Yes, I've heard. It certainly had its place in your life, Mrs. Carter. Yes, I, I dare say it has. I've been wondering about something, Mrs. Carter. I hope you can help me. Well, if I can, I will, of course. We uh, checked with Mr. Murchison at his music shop. Oh? Yes, he tells us you purchased a stock of strings shortly after Mr. Carter's death, not just before, as you told us. Well, then, then I, I, I'd, I'd forgotten the exact well, date. It seems rather peculiar that you should forget that after you made such a point of it to us. I, I was under a terrible strain. I'm sure... If you'd stop plucking that A-string, Sergeant, my nerves are... Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I didn't mean to break it. I'll get you a new one. Uh, that, that won't be necessary, Sergeant. I, I have extras right here in this drawer. Uh, that was the A-string, wasn't it? I'm rather surprised, Mrs. Carter. A woman of your obvious means keeping nails and bent ones of that in a drawer of a desk in her sitting I room. I forgot to throw them away. Yes, I dare say you did. May I have them, please? But, You'll leave them alone. I dare say also that they'll fit exactly into certain holes in the baseboards of your cellar and back stairs, just above the steps where someone unsuspecting would trip over a tightly stretched mandolin string stretched between two nails, like these, Mrs. Carter. You're taken in charge, madam. The charge is willful murder of your two husbands. I must warn you that anything you may say may be taken down in... And so, once and for all, the mandolin string was silenced can be seen today in the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment.
Now here in person is Orson Welles. Louise Evans Mason Carter was tried for murder. The police stated facts and produced evidence. But Louise wept and lifted those blue eyes of hers to heaven, and the jury disagreed, and she was not convicted. Not in court. She was convicted by her neighbors and by her friends. They knew. And so, Louise Evans Mason Carter moved away, far north, to Scotland, alone. And there she died some 20 years later, still alone. And now, until next time, do we meet in this same place and I tell you another story of the Black Museum. I remain, as always, obediently yours. Museum starring Orson Welles is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attractions. The program is written by Ara Marion with original music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. Listening to the Old Time Radio Hour here on Sid Valley. Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in future tense. The National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, bring you Dimension X. The rocket drove through space like a silver fish in an endless tank stars in flat velocity swirling by. Inside her case, tiny, finite specks of humanity controlled the tremendous power that impelled her so relentlessly toward the other galaxies. Who were these men? What mad, fantastic need and desire that caused them to abandon Mother Earth and venture to the ends of the universe? Captain Hollis! What is it, Stone? Magnetic storm, dead ahead, sir. Any aperture? About a hundred-mile gap between elements, sir, but shifting rapidly. Switch on the radar screen. Let's have a look. Yes, sir. There are asteroids in it, Captain. I see that. 
Thank you, Stone. Sir? What? Any change in course? What for? But stop, sir. If I decide to change course, I'll issue the order. At the rate we're approaching, it'll be too late to issue an order. Mr. Stone, do I need to remind you who's master of this ship? Look, sir, there are 25 other lives to be considered besides your own. Those asteroids shipped at our course. That's enough, Stone. It's not enough, Captain. Return to your post. Captain, for God's sake, don't be pig-headed about this. There's a magnetic storm dead ahead. Are you going to risk the lives of all of us just so you can hang your hat on some lousy interplanetary record? We know this means a lot to you. Sure, you can be fleet admiral if you beat those Asiatic ships to Venus. That's fine, but we value our lives. I happen to value my life just as much as any man aboard this craft, Mr. Stone. But I wasn't brought up to be a lily-livered dare nothing. Now get back to your post, or I'll have you court-martialed. Well, Mr. Stone? Okay. Okay what, Mr. Stone? Okay, sir. Impudent young pig. Maybe he's right with us. Well, you stick to being ship's doctor. You're good at that. I'll navigate this dish. Really, Captain, only I'd hate to pile up on some little asteroid, especially when a simple thing like changing course... Simple thing? Do you know what a change in course would mean? The slightest deflection would throw us a million miles off at this speed. It would take days to get back on the vector. By that time, one of the Asiatic ships would have landed on Venus and claimed the whole blasted planet. We're in a race, Charles. Well, I suppose they did claim Venus. There's nothing but rocks and jungle anyway. It isn't that it's the idea of someone beating us. You know, Lewis, I always get a little bit jittery when men are willing to die for symbols. Uh, you're a cynic. Maybe. Get Mollis! Get Mollis! Mollis, what is it, Lester? Captain, the radar tracking shows a foreign object. Get ahead. What? Check your screen, sir. Good Lord, the whole blasted storm has shifted dead on. Engine room. Mission chamber. Fire up your starboard cyclotron. Aye, sir. You can't make it in time, Lewis. Listen to that radar bounce. Shut up. Now hear this. Now hear this. Condition red. Fasten your space suit. Over the fission chamber. Emergency blast. Aye, sir. You see it off. You think we'll make it? We've got to make it. Oh, it's one of those asteroids the size of the ship. Will you shut up? It doesn't sound good, Lewis. Another five seconds. Four. Three. Two. No, it's a meteorite. Good God. Look out! Anybody else alive? Stone. Hello, Doctor. Oh, are you all right? 
so far. That's three of us, anyway. Lewis. Yes? We... We seem to be moving away from each other. That's right. I can hardly see you now. It's the momentum. They were all thrown in different directions. Since there's no friction, we'll pick up speed. Isn't there some way we could stick together at least? I'm afraid not. If there's no friction, then there's nothing to stop us. That's right, Stone. But then we'll we'll just keep falling, maybe forever. Not forever. You'll fall until you get into one of the gravitational fields of some planet. After that, you'll fall toward the planet. Mother in heaven, what a way to die. Nobody's going to die. Those Asiatic ships will be along this way. We can radio to them when they get in range. Aren't you forgetting something, Lewis? Uh, what's that? The commanders of those other ships may not be quite so willing to run through a magnetic storm. They may have altered course. If they have, they won't come within a million miles of us. We'll have to take our chances on that. It's a long way down. A long, long way down. Let's have no talk of that kind, Stone. I don't want to die. Stone, I said can it. Can it yourself. What? You heard me. This is a mutiny of one. Don't try to put your rank on me now, mister. You'll be 10,000 miles away in another hour. Oh, help me. I'll have you court-martialed when we're picked up. Let's not kid ourselves. Nobody's going to be picked up. I've got a few things to get off my chest before we lose contact with each other. Don't let it drop it. Let him talk. Thanks. Your ship was a bad ship, and you were a bad captain. I hope you'll break when you hit the moon. Thanks for the goodwill, Stone. That isn't all. I believe there are different kinds of deaths, Captain. Just as there are different kinds of lives. Yours should be pretty interesting because you've been dead for years. Stone! Let him. When was the last time you had an honest human feeling, Captain? I'll bet you don't even remember when. I don't think you're capable of any kind of strong feeling. Do you have a wife, Captain? I'll bet she won't miss you one bit. Children? I have a son. A little boy. Maybe he'll grow up to be a hero like his daddy. A tin hero with a piece of stone where other men have hearts. Are you quite finished? I've said it. Well, so long, Doc. So long. I'm headed for the sun. Somehow I don't like the idea of falling into the sun. I'm going to take a quicker way out. No, Stone, don't be a fool. I'm going to smash the faceplate on my helmet and let the oxygen escape. Stone, don't do it. We're going to be rescued. Stone. See you all in some other universe? He was headed for the sun. I can barely see him now. Look, like Mercury for me. How about you, Lewis? I'm headed for... for Earth. Funny, isn't it? That I should be going back to Mother Earth this way. I'm nothing but a human meteor, Charles. When I hit the Earth's atmosphere, I'll burn like a match. Charles. Charles, can you still hear me? I can hear you. It's getting fainter now. We must be several thousand miles apart. We should be able to talk for another 20 minutes or so at the speed we're falling away from each other. What are you thinking about, Lewis? I was thinking about Stone. What he said. Don't let it get you. 
You know, in a way, he was right. He was insane. The shock knocked him off balance. No. Each of us dies in a different way. Each of us has his own life to look back on. Huh? Uh, What's that? I don't know. It sounds like... Lester. Oh, well. 
Clegg Lester for having them. And jealous of him for being able to spend money without fear. And for as much happiness as he could have in his own wild way. Haven't you ever wanted that? Don't be a fool. The difference between us and Lester is that he lives in the present. He gets into the experience of the moment. You and I, Lewis, we live in the past and in the future, but never in the present. Could we change the subject? I thought you wanted to talk. Well, let's talk about something else. Charles? Charles? Charles, are you there? Charles, answer me. I just switched my auxiliary battery. I'm sorry. Well, don't... Don't do that. <laughs> afraid to be alone? I've never been afraid of anything in my life, and you know it. I wonder. Why doesn't he shut up? Lewis. What? I can barely hear you now. Thank you. 
tell her it's me. I missed you. Have you? Didn't you know? But I thought... I mean, we quarreled. Oh, I've forgotten about that. I, uh... I had some trouble, Helen. We won't talk about it. You're home now. That's the important thing. Stevie is so excited. Stevie, where is he? Right here, darling. Stevie? Hello, son. You're going to stay with us this time, aren't you, Daddy? You're going to stay at home and we'll go fishing and play ball together, just like you promised. Well, Stevie, you... Uh... I'm collecting fish on that. I've got a whole collection of them, all different colors. Would you like to see them? Yes, I would, son. I'll go up and get them. I've got them in my room. Don't go away, Dad. I'll be right back. I won't. I won't go away. He's, uh, quite a little guy, isn't he? I'm glad you're finally getting together with him. What? What do you mean, Helen? You've always been so, well, detached from him. Steve is a sensitive little creature. All he ever wanted from you really was just a little affection and respect, Lewis. Just a little respect for the things he felt and wanted. I've been a good father. Nobody can ever say I haven't been a good father. Certainly not you, not after what happened. Don't get defensive, Lewis, please. I'm trying to bring us a little closer together. I've given him everything a boy should have. Toys, boxing gloves. I've taught him to hunt and take care of himself. Yes, you've done all those things. Well, then. It's just, well, sometimes when he's come to you, he feels so alone. All he wants is for you to put your arms around him and reassure him, that's He's going to be a man. I don't want him to be soft. What is it, Lewis? What is there about being soft that you despise? Sissy's a soft. Christ was soft. Now, don't start that business again, will you? I'm trying to make you understand. Please. I understand what you're trying to do. You're like all of them. They want to make you a woman. Like them. They want to drain you of your manhood so they can control you. Manipulate you. You won't understand, will you? You won't me or anybody else, including yourself. Now you're talking belly wash again. Oh, let's not build that wall between us, Lewis. Not this time. I have it all planned when you came back. We'd get out to the beach. Remember the spot where we used to swim? In the moonlight, you can see the water all luminous and green. And then we could have a picnic supper there, just you and Stevie and me. Stevie could sleep on the blanket and we could go for a swim. Maybe... Maybe we could recapture it, Lewis. It wasn't always like this. Maybe if we went back... I'm sorry, Helen. I'd like to, really. But, uh... Well, I'm shipping out tonight. Tonight? I've got a new command. New ship. Having lunch with the Admiral this afternoon. But you said you'd stay. This is an important thing, Helen. This is the most important thing that ever happened to me. More important than going for a swim. You don't get a chance of being fleet commander every day. You can go for a swim anytime. Yes, but we never do. Oh, look, honey. Ever since I was a cadet, I've been pointing toward this job. It's big. If I'm a success, you can name your own ticket. Big house up in Connecticut. Chauffeur. Finest schools for Steve. I want you, Lewis. Now, don't be unreasonable. Don't you be unemotional. What? I said don't be unemotional. I don't understand. No, I don't suppose you ever will. Let's not quarrel. Why do we always end up quarreling? 
Well, it's almost time now. Louis, let's try once more. Goodbye, Helen. Say goodbye to the boy. All right, Louis. Goodbye. Helen. Where are you, Helen? Sense of calm now. Almost relief. 
You ever get out of a cold shower and feel like a new man? Clean and ready for breakfast and a new day? I have a feeling like that. It's a beautiful old earth, Lester. Good to go home. I wonder if anyone will see me. the ocean and the stars. Are you cold? No. Mom? Yes, darling. When's Dad coming back? I don't know, Steve. I don't know. Mom? Mm-hmm. What's the matter between you and Dad? I suppose in a way we do. It used to be quite different. Long ago, when you were a tiny, tiny baby, your father and I used to come down here and swim at night. I was the first girl he ever loved. And then somehow, something happened. He got frightened or something, and we sort of lost each other. Come here, Steve. What's wrong, Mom? Quite just feel a little chill. Perhaps we'd better be getting back. It's almost your bedtime. Okay, Mom. Mom! Look up there! A, a falling star! Yes, I see it. It's all right this way. Did you see it, Mom? A falling star! Make a wish, son. Make a wish. Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio.